the book of Revelation in chapter 14, and we've been looking at verse 12 and 13. Uh, you've got these two, what seems to be interjections, you know, sort of butting into the line of thought, these two comments, and one in verse 12 and one in verse 13. We've looked at verse 12, I won't go back over that. And you sort of wonder, we're in a picture book, and we're looking at pictures as we go, and then suddenly there's a comment. Here is the patience, the endurance of the saints. Verse 12, verse 13, and I heard a voice, so a voice suddenly speaks, and this is what it says. Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Why a comment on death suddenly at this point? Well, it's clear we've been looking at a society that's anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christian. We're looking at a world filled with hatred and hostility for the people of God. We've seen them suffer and we've seen them being martyred. It's been so really since the very first century when the people of God were suffered so terribly under the hands of the Romans and right through the periods of time, climaxing in what will yet to come, yes. But as many would understand what it means to die for the faith and to face death in a world that hates everything of Christ. Here it is. Blessed are the dead. Have you ever heard of that? Death actually a blessing for the believer who keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because that's what I'm going to speak about. Maybe this week, maybe next week as well, I don't know yet. We're going to speak about what it means to die. What is death? Blessing for the believer. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11 says, As surely as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Psalm 116 and verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. See the contrast? No pleasure, death of the wicked. Precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. Now, Revelation 14 and verse 15. What does it say there? Blessed, Revelation 14 and verse 13 as we've read. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, saith the Spirit, they rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Everything about death has a positive ring to it here. It's a distinct blessing. It means rest. And it's not in vain. It's not all over and that's it. Because that person who has died in the Lord and entered into rest has left behind them a life of witness, service, and testimony. And what they were in life and the work which they did for the Lord in glorifying the Lord during their life is, as it were, still left behind them and following on. I mean, you'll know yourself, wouldn't you? You remember people that have gone on before us friends or relatives or other people in the church and 
You know, the memory of the just is a blessing. They're with the glory now, but you, you remember what they taught you in their life, what they taught you by their example, the memory you've still got of them that really encourages you still as it encouraged you then. Their works are still following. They've not gone. It's not all been in vain. It's been for a blessing for those who are left behind. Now, that's how you live your life. You live your life keeping the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, being what you should be, glorifying the Lord in your life. And then when time comes to die, blessing comes upon you, there's rest from your labors, and there's a heritage left behind for the blessing of others who follow on. So it's different looking at death this way, isn't it? What we're going to do is look at the subject generally so as we get a grip of it, because these truths are very important for the rest of Revelation. We'll pull it all together later on and get it into its context. It's important because there's a lot of death in the book of Revelation. There really is. I mean, you get the pictures, don't you, of those, uh, of the judgments of God and the death of the ungodly. It's absolutely dreadful. Then you get the pictures of the death of the believers, the martyrs. Remember, we've already seen them. Under the altar, their souls crying out, O Lord, how long, how long, O Lord? Surely, Lord, you'll go and exalt your name and deliver your people. So they are pleading, praying on the behalf of those that are still suffering on earth. We're going to look this morning. We're going to discover what is death. Why does it happen? We're going to look at the death of the ungodly. And I trust we'll get to look at the death and the dying of a Christian. Because we're going to go that way, you know. Some of us before others. Someone in this room, it's like this. Someone actually in this room is going to be next. Some of us are going to go, right? It's normal. It's normal. What is death? Why does it happen? The ungodly in their death and the Christian dying in their death. Number one, what is death? Well, it's just the ending of physical life. That's what death is. It's the ending of physical life by the separation between the body and the soul of the individual. Now, understand it's the ending of physical life. There's a separation. It's not the end of existence. It's the ending of existence of living in a body on earth and having relationships with other people here on earth. We cease to live down here on earth, but we do not cease to exist. That's important. If you ever do see someone die, or if you ever look upon someone, someone who's gone, I mean, and I've done that many, many times, and every single time the thing that strikes you is, oh, they've gone. You say, well, no, they're not. There's the, they are in front of you lying dead. It's not them, they're dead. It's the body they have left behind. The person who inhabited that body was dwelling in it like you, you live in a tent, you know. Somebody lives in the tent. The body is that, is that tent in which we live on earth and give expression to who we are. And death is me leaving my body. My body will decay. It will return back to dust. But me, the real me, will live on. See, there's body and there's soul. The soul is the real person that lives inside the body. You look at me and you're seeing me in my body. And I am, as a person, my soul, who I really am, 
I am expressing myself through speech, through movement, through smile, through facial expression, and so on and so on. But it's me using my body to express who I am. See, there is the body in which we live and the real me, the soul, the person that we are. And when it comes to death, it's a separating between the body and the soul. It's not like death and life are opposed to each other. It's one is existence or not... Sorry. It's not like saying you've got existence and then you have non-existence. When it comes to death and when it comes to you being alive, your modes of existence are different, but you still exist. Now, that's important. The soul doesn't die. Now, why do we die? Well, you know, the Bible's absolutely plain and clear. There's no other explanation. You, you know, you can get all philosophical and talk about it being the cycle of life and the way things are. And Yes, I know, but why are they like that? Why? Why must we all die, as the wise woman of Tekoa said? Well, the answer's plain, isn't it? It's because of sin. You don't have to go any further than that. It's because of sin. Every time there's a funeral, it's the voice of God crying out to mankind, sin, sin, sin. All right? The wages of sin is death. By one man, Romans 5, sin entered into the world, death by sin, death passed on all men, in that all of sin. Sin entered... Death came, the consequence of sin. See, sin has got a sting in its tail. The world can live as they like and say they love their sin and they love to rebel and they love to indulge and they enjoy one another and they love to fling off the control and the authority of God. But the bottom line is that sin has got a sting in it. And the sting in the tail will be death. Sin brings forth death. Genesis 2, the day you eat, you shall surely die. That's it. Sin is the reason for death. When you've got no answer for sin, no solution for sin, you've got no answer or solution for death. And if you have no answer to death, what are you going to do? This morning we're going to look at the answer to sin as well. It gives us the victory and the answer for death. Now for the non-Christian, the whole thing's a terrible business. It really is. I mean... Death represents to a non-Christian a, a terrible sort of crossing over into a, something that's completely unknown. And there's, there's three reasons I've sort of written here about why death is a terrible thing when you're not saved. I mean, you're, you're not saved and you're facing this thing that you, you can't control. It's a loss, a total loss of control for the unbeliever. The bottom line is when death comes, you actually cannot stop it. You can't. It's bigger than you, it's stronger than you, it's greater than you. Ultimately, the final act of submission in a person's life, in the life of the ungodly, is they have to submit. They have to bow to a power that's greater than them. They have to realize they have no control over the situation. And that, to them, is a terrible thing. Look at the world we live in where it controls the whole business, isn't it? You know, we can control anything and everything. We can tell the sun what to do. Hey? We can dictate the climate and make it work itself out to the way in which we like it to be. There's nothing that we can't do. We are gods in our own right. and Everything is, we're full of ourselves. We're in, in control and we don't bow. And Our children are brought up that way. They can do anything. And we actually believe all about ourselves and in ourselves. And then we're faced with death, you see. And when it comes, there's no stopping it, no. Control's over. You can stave it off by all means you like. You know, you can 
let's have a healthy diet. You know, you live longer. Well, it could be true. You know, you, fitness. The miracles of modern medicine, both real and unreal. You invent the elixir of life and put it in the right bottle and give it the right label, you will make a fortune. Because it just might work, you see. There's death that they're trying to control. And then there's this whole thing about the power of positive thinking. I get this quite puzzled myself when, if you know you have to break terrible news to somebody, they have a fatal disease, straight away they're going to think positive, you know. I can beat it. Don't, don't talk about dying negatives or that sort of stuff. No, you've got to beat it. You see, but why? Because they must have control over it. But, you know, death, ultimately, it wins, and it always wins. It doesn't matter who it is, no matter what your social standing is. Remember in the Passover night, death came to the houses of the Egyptians. What does it say? From the king on the throne to the maid behind the mill. You know, from the ultimate level of, of society and social standing right down to the, the little girl that's nobody and works in the farmhouse. And then you think of wealth. It makes no difference at all. Luke 16, what happens to the Lazarus? Poor old Lazarus the beggar, he dies. And the rich man died also. And it doesn't matter what strength you've got. It's awful to see, you do see people that you've known for years and you've looked after them as in, in medical, in medicine, and they're so strong and athletic and they really, and they get a disease like cancer and you watch them just, just going down and down and down and their physical strength just goes. They can't stop it, you see. I mean, who'd have thought a Goliath would have died so easily? massive brute of a man he shook he shook his fist in the face of death and a shepherd lad and a little tap on the head with a stone you see it was all over so you can see it's distasteful to modern thinking a generation so believing in itself so sure that man is their own god and that they're obsessed with a sense of absolute control and death really for the non-Christian, is that loss of control. It's the, it's the ultimate submission. It's, it's the darkness. It's the vacuum into which they go, for which they have no answer. As Shakespeare said, death is the unknown country from whose borders no traveller is returned. It's true. It's absolutely true. See, when you've got no answer, then you have fear. Those who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject to bondage. They are bound by that fear that drives them in their behaviour and in their thinking and in their efforts. Look, we've actually lived for the last 12 or 15 months through an entire society who has been completely motivated by fear. Now, you think about it. You just think it seriously. I'm talking about the coronavirus. I'm not trying to make little of it or light of it at all. But the whole thing, or you read all the reports in the paper, listen to it on the news, and what is it? It's all fear. It's all about a pandemic. It's a killer virus. It's a, a new, it's a, a more virulent strain, you know. And suddenly everybody goes, oh, what's the, oh, death. So what will we do? Well, we'll surrender everything to it. We'll, we'll do anything necessary. We'll, we'll run up debts in economies of billions of dollars. It doesn't matter. We will actually sacrifice all our personal liberties. We'll cut off all our social and curtail our social relationships. We'll stay away from the elderly. Let them in the nursing home, you know, just little tiny visits or looking through a glass window at them. Leave them to their loneliness. And even when somebody's dying, we'll say to the family, you can't go in there because of what? Fear. 
Can you see the distortion of reality and the driving force behind the whole thing? And he, you know, we'll even vote people in who are vile, anti-God, filthy and depraved and determined to bring society down. We'll vote them in. Well, they keep us safe, you see. See the obsession with safety in the workplace now. I mean, it's not just a precaution. It's now an obsession. It'll stop the massive, most massive of projects if it costs a fortune. Safety is all that matters. And the children mustn't play games, but they first must consider safety. What's driving all this? It's something they can't control. It's the fear of death. And they're in bondage to that. See, man can't face the fact that they're mortal. Mortal means to be subject to death. Man is not immortal. There is only one who is, the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto. And you see, immortality is available for man through the gospel. Because it says in 2 Timothy 1 and 10, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's abolished death. I like that. He's abolished it. You say, well, it doesn't exist anymore. No, no, it doesn't mean that. The word abolished means annulled. You know what annulled means? Oh, the decree's still there, but it doesn't have any power. And the believer finds that out. The one who's abolished death, right, he has brought to light life and immortality through the gospel. And then you see the believer, the Christian, has that immortality in the coming day of resurrection, in that wonderful, wonderful day of the last trump, when this corruptible will have put on incorruption, yes, and this mortal will have put on immortality, and in that moment, in that instant, in that twinkling of an eye, we're all going to be changed and, and shall come to pass that saying, death, swallowed up in victory. You know, one of the greatest proofs of the Lord Jesus Christ being more than a man when he was here on earth, he was God, verily God, he had become truly human. He was fully man and he was fully God. And on earth he took, as it were, the veil of his humanity, took the reality of humanity and lived within the confines of those huma that humanity. But, you know, you see these bursts of what comes through that he's more than a man. Nick mentioned it this morning. You remember the, the woman, of, the widow of Nain, burying her son and he just went there and he put, stopped, he stopped the funeral. Just stopped it like that. I mean, just picture it, you know. There's a funeral going past outside the here on the road and just imagine if the Lord Jesus was here and he just went out that door and he just stood in front of the hearse and said stop now just stop I mean people would be aghast what's he going to do and he says wake up young man lady mother don't weep and he restores the son to the grieving mother can you imagine the tension there at the tomb of Lazarus what more tension here's this rabbi he's a carpenter he's an itinerant preacher, he's, he's dressed as a peasant and, and the family's moving out to the tomb and Lazarus dead already, stinketh, it says, four days. And the Lord Jesus looks and he sees Mary weeping and he sees Martha all disturbed and he, he sees the Jews with her, and they're, with her and they're all wailing and there's the, there's the, the leaders of the religious, uh, you know, they're there as well and not, so it goes on. And suddenly the Lord Jesus exerts himself as to who he really is, and standing in front of that tomb, he says, Lazarus, come forth. You could just get the silence that falls, the tension in the air. A man is addressing death and assuming authority. And the dead came forth, bound hand and foot. Why? Because the Lord Jesus as to who he is. 
He has that absolute authority over death. Death does not have authority over him. Even in the very way as a man that he died, it's so absolutely beautiful to see. He laid down his life. It says, no man takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. He said, I will be taking it again. And when the Lord Jesus actually died, it says there on the cross that he, he bowed his head and he dismissed his spirit. And to the surprise of all, he was dead already and they never expected it. You see, he was in complete and absolute control Death never came and exerted its authority over him. He allowed it to come. He chose the exact moment and in complete control, not like a dying man in weakness. No, in the dignity of who he was and what he was about to do and what he was about to conquer and the conquest that he was going to make. He entered the domain of the strong man and in full control he bowed his head he dismissed his spirit and he went into death and he destroyed it. This is he who has immortality. This is the blessed and only potentate. This is the one who, to whom death could not take authority over. It must bow to him and if he were to die then it must be by his choice. Now, going on. The second reason why the death for the non-Christian is such a terrible and a fearful thing, well, actually, the bottom line is, and you'd all know this, you'd expect this. I should have probably put it first, really, because of what comes after. You know, it's appointed unto man once to die. Is that right? Yes. And after death, judgment. Now, it's as simple as that. Death is fearful because the next item on the program for that person is to face the absolute judgment of God. Now, there's nothing positive about that. Nothing. You can try and make death positive, and people do. I mean, these days we don't have funerals, do we? We have celebrations of life. Oh, how cheerful that is, you know, dressing it all up, looking so pretty. And then you have a wake, don't you, and you sort of drink plenty and make yourself cheerful and comfort everybody and a bit of a yahoo, and maybe you let some balloons go or some doves or, you know, you say nice things about it all and you say, oh, you know... He died doing what he loved best. Wasn't that great? No, it wasn't very, might have been very great while he was doing it, but he ain't doing it no more, you see. The issue isn't how he lived. The issue is the fact that we're dealing with death and you can avoid it. You can paint it over, you can whitewash it, you can cover it, but it's as cruel as the grave. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but I certainly, look, you look at the death of a child. Have you ever buried a child? Tell you what, it's as cruel as the grave. It's as cruel as it's cold as that. That's the reality. For a non-Christian to go and face that means they're going out there waiting for the next inevitable thing and that's judgment. And just as they died without Christ, so they'll face judgment without him. And to face judgment with no saviour and to face judgment with no shepherd, and to face judgment with no shelter, I tell you what, that's a terrible thing. Or they say, we don't believe that. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Truth's always truth, you know. That's the problem they've got. The word of God will stand. 
See, death for the non-Christian is also the end of all hope. That's, it's, it's all hope's gone at that moment. At that moment when the soul leaves the body, every shred of hope for that person is gone. They've crossed that line which divides. It divides hope from despair, happiness from misery, darkness from light, and blessing from cursing. And it's not a line in the sand you can scrub out. And it's not a piece of string you can cut. The scripture says that line of division at that point in time is like a great gulf that's fixed and no man can cross over. That's what the Lord Jesus taught in Luke's Gospel and in chapter 16. So there they are with a loss of control, a loss of all hope, having to face what comes after and the very attitude of God to it is he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now for the Christian. Oh, what a glorious and a wonderful difference. Everything's different about a Christian dying. You know, everything will be different when we die and it will be from the cruel coldness and harsh realities and terrifying thoughts of actually facing an unknown thing into an unknown future and then left only to face the judgment of God. So different. You saw that he had no pleasure in the death death of the wicked. You know, the very attitude of God is different to the death of one of his children. That's the first difference I, I want to bring to you. That's the difference. It's lovely. You know, we're in God's hands, always in God's hands. And it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you know, you like to think of it like this. There's the heavenly father, our heavenly father. He knows every one of us by name, right down to the very hairs of our head that are numbered. And he sees us through our lives and he stands with us in all our trials and tribulations. He understands our weaknesses and he sees us stumble. He sees us attacked by Satan. He sees us struggling with sin within. He sees us, you know, pressing onward in the upward way. New strength you're needing every day. And then he says, ah, this one's coming home. This one's coming home. And he has such pleasure. He's such delight. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. This one's coming home to me. Never more to Rome. He's actually coming home. Now that's what death is for the Christian. We're going home. The Father's house, the Lord Jesus said. In other words, he says, it's my home. You've been made a son like me by adoption. I'm the only begotten, but you've been brought into the family. And where I live is your home. Lord, I'm coming home. Open wide the gates of heaven. Lord, I'm coming home. That's why we sing it, isn't it? You look at Paul's attitude to what it was all about. Philippians 1 and 23, having a desire. I mean, let this go through your head a bit. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Four sermons, if you like. (laughs) A desire to depart, to be with Christ, far better. It's lovely, isn't it? A desire, he's actually wanting what lies ahead. He's wanting what death means, really, for the Christian. Positively wanting it. Why is it that even amongst us as Christians, death as a subject is almost taboo? Why? Precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. I want it, says the Apostle Paul, because he said, I'm going to depart. You've got the idea, the soul, the real him is going to leave the body and he's going to be with Christ. And that's far better. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, I'm willing 
to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Willing, that's, that's his yearning, that's what he wants, that's what he'd like to happen. He says, I'll stay because I'm going to serve you and it'll be good for you, but really I'm wanting something more. He said, I want to leave this body and I want to be present with the Lord. And you know what the word present means there actually? It means to be at home. Absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's what he was looking for. And that's very, <laughs> you see, he says, I'm not going to cease to exist. I'm going to exist somewhere else in a far better place. For me to live is Christ, he said in Philippians 1, and to die again. He says, I've honoured the Lord all my life. I've served him and I've wanted to please him and I've wanted to glorify him. And that's been a good, good thing. But he said to die, he says it's gain. He's looking for something far better. It's not that what he has now is not good, but there's something that is better. And that is how he presents to the believers here the meaning of his death. You see that? That is how. There's a sense of, there's an inducement here in what he's saying. He's, he's, he's seeing something positive. He's seeing a distinct attraction in death. Well, what is that attraction? How can you be attracted to dying? Do you know the real attraction in death? And I want you to get this, and I'll, I'll open up a little bit more. The real attraction is the fact that we shall be with the Lord. You have a desire to depart to what? Be with Christ, which is far better. It's the person that we love that we're going to really see and actually to live with. See, it's the same I do with that dying thief. It was on my mind this morning. The Lord Jesus turns to him and he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The primary attraction was with me. The secondary attraction was paradise. And for the Christian, that's the real thing. The Lord you've loved all your life, that's where you're going to be with him. The place is going to be wonderful, but it's the person you're only there because of him anyway. And the whole point, the whole difference in death for the believer is going to be with the Lord. Now, it's not, this isn't just apostolic privilege. You know, Paul says all this far better and he has a desire to go, oh, yeah, he's an apostle. <laughs> well, come on, um, the dying thief had the same inducement offered to him, didn't he? This is, this, this is the normal Christian life. You realise death is a part of living. Dying is a part of living. All right, just as much as being born is. One's the beginning and one is the last road you tread. Now, you think of the Lord Jesus. Isn't it true you love him? If you didn't just warm your heart straight away, then there's something wrong inside. Tick, tick, come on. There's no believer that doesn't respond to the thought of loving the Lord. Right? You loved him. You loved him ever since the day he saved you. It was then that the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. You've loved him ever since. And as Peter says, on whom, or whom having not seen, you love. And then it goes, on whom, though not now looking, yet rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see how that verse, it just sort of starts at a, a wonderful level, but then it just goes beyond the boundaries of what, anything you could think about whom having not seen, yes, you love. On whom, though not now looking, yet you are rejoicing with joy unspeakable. Because you're going to actually see him face to face. 
pardon me using an illustration, but it's a silly one, but it was in my head. When I was reading it this morning, I looked at that verse and I thought, it sort of starts it with a, a, a certain level of richness, you know, swirling richness. And then suddenly it rises up like a fountain and just overflows the boundaries of your imagination. It all started with having not seen you love. But now suddenly it's rejoicing, it's joy unspeakable, and it's full of glory. And I used to, I thought of the day when it's years back as children, we'd make ourselves that, you know, the hot chocolate, and you'd, you'd stick the milk in the old saucepan, and you'd stick it on the hot stove, and you'd watch it. You'd just have to watch it, because it would start to swirl a bit when it was getting hot, you know? That's like the first bit of the verse, whom having not seen you love. You see the richness of the milk swirling. And then suddenly, if you're not quick, it goes right up the top of the saucepan, spills clean over. That's that verse. Spills clean over. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. I see, that's where we're at now, but that's, think of what we'll have then. You see, let me get back to it. Normal Christian life. You've walked with him every day of your life. You talk to him every day of your life. You look to him. You lean on him. You prove him. You found him faithful. He's been your constant and is your constant companion, your shepherd, your guard, and your guide. I mean, that's just a description of how the normal Christian life is. Isn't that how you live? Well, look at it like this. He who has been all that to you in your life, he does not neglect you, nor does he disappoint you in death. You see, dying is that final road we travel at the end of life. It's part of life, that dying process. But you see, he goes with you. He's right there as he's always been right there. But the beauty of it is also at the end stage terminal point, he is there waiting to receive you immediately into his presence and to give you that final burst of glory when you'll see him face to face. It is that instant you are taken into his presence face to face. There's no waiting period. There is no intermediary time or intermediate state. There is this final reality experienced at that moment as you leave to go elsewhere to live, and that's with him in glory. At that instant, it is he and I in that bright glory. One deep joy shall share. His to be that I should be forever with him. Mine that I am there. Isn't that lovely? Never understood that hymn until just now I could see it. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We're sharing that joy. He's so glad to have me home with him. Ransomed, redeemed, forgiven. And I'm so glad to be there at home with him. So you see that, don't you? It's so different for the believer. The destiny is so different. The process is so different. You get it? The whole thing's different. We read Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy staff and thy rod, they comfort me. Oh, I know we can get all clever and theological these days and say, well, we're always walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what the world is, and every day the Lord's with us. Hey, come on, it goes more than that. 
That psalm is a story of the journey from right through life, right to the death. And goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. And even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow, he's with you. He's with you. No wonder we read it at funerals. Of course we do. It's real, fellow believer. It's wonderful to see the blessed dead dying in the Lord. It's wonderful to speak to a Christian who knows they're going home. And they've got that peace and radiance and joy upon their faces. And there's something of calmness and expectation. They've lived their life with the Lord and now they're going to live with the Lord. They have seen him in the scriptures. They have seen him in their experience. Now they're going to see him face to face. Haven't you had grandmothers or grandfathers or fathers that have died like that? Do you know anybody that's died like that? Well, they died well. (laughs) They died in faith, as Hebrews 11 says. And as John Wesley said, all our people die well. That was a great commendation, you know, to the man of the gospel that that man preached and the blessing that brought to so many people. And there's something more about this. I want to give you something more. There's a difference in the, in the destiny, yes. There's a difference in the process, almost oh, certainly, yes. There's a difference in all that actually goes on at the point of death. At the point of death, the angels come and carry us to that place of blessing. I'm not being fanciful. You listen a bit longer. One day I'll give you a whole series on the, on the work of the angels. <clears throat> Another time. You see, the angels are sent out by God to serve those who are going to be the heirs of salvation. In other words, God has sent the angels out to be the servants for God's people. And their service is tremendous in life. You saw that in the life of the Lord Jesus. But just a minute, just as the Lord Jesus anticipated death in the Garden of Gethsemane and faced its reality, what happened? An angel came, ministered to him. It says strengthening him. That's what it says. All right? Now, get, get Luke 16, because it's clearly, there's just the touch of it there. It's beautiful. It says there that Lazarus died, the poor man, the beggar, he died. And the angels came and carried him over into the bosom of Abraham. In other words, the angels came and carried him over to the other side, into the place of blessing. And as John Bunyan would have said, and the trumpet sounded over on the other shore. Fellow believers, there is something in Scripture very suggestive of the fact that at that final point, the ministry of angels comes in, as it were. The Lord is there waiting, and the angels are there to carry us over to the other side. But it's all so different. It's all so, so different for the unbelievable. It says, and the rich man, he also died. There's no mention of the angels. There's no mention of blessing. There's only torment. You see, an ungodly person has no shepherd for the last journey. He's got no saviour waiting on the other shore. He's got no angels to minister unto them. But our master, the blessed Jesus, the blessed Christ, he's arranged it all so that for the believer there is to be no fear in death. Why? Because perfect love has cast out fear. And it's that perfect love of the Lord Jesus the one who's trodden the path before us, the one who's gone through life in the sympathies and tendernesses of a high priest helping us in our infirmities because he's walked the road as well, you know. He knows exactly what it's like to live on earth. I'll tell you something else. He knows exactly what it's like to die. Exactly. He was a great trailblazer. He blazed a trail that went into death 
that went through death and it went right out of death to the other side. He bowed his head in death. He died and he was buried. He went into the tomb and the stone sealed it shut. But he rose again on the third day. And when they rolled the, the stone was rolled away and they looked in, what was it? The angels are there. He's not here, he's risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. You see now, he takes us by the hand. He leads us to the promised land. That's what he does. He's trodden the way before us. And we have lived in his strength. We have lived under his power. We have been in his hands in life. And it's that same hand and it's that same power that is with us through death and takes us into glory. Yes. The grave is not our destiny. No. Death is not the end. It's just the changing station. You know, you change stations to get to your final destiny. Oh, I'm going to fly to England. Well, you've got to change to Singapore or you won't get there. Well, you see, that's the changing station. That's what it is. You leave the body, you go to be with the Lord. <clears throat> and you get a body that, you know, you have a change of clothes that's suitable for heaven. You get a glorified body, finally, it says, doesn't it? A body that's suitable to the atmosphere of heaven, a body that's not subject to corruption, a body that's not stained with sin, and a body that'll never grow old. And it's a body like unto his own glorious body. You see, I shall be satisfied, says the psalmist, when I awake in his likeness. That's satisfaction. Oh, they're looking for fulfillment, aren't they? Don't look for it in this life. Don't look for it. It'll come to you. Final satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment. And it's actually in that final glorification. That's what it is. You see, right now we can look back to a time in the past. God worked in, we are justified. We have been justified. And you look at the present with all its difficulties and situations and we are being sanctified. But what we're talking about is in that day when we shall be glorified. You know, we'll get there to glorification one of two ways. Either we'll get there through death or the Lord's going to come. Well, you say, I, I'd rather have the second one. <laughs> hey, all of us would. But wait a minute, let's just think it. Blessed are the dead. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. And glory waits before us. What is it? Oh, that will be glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, twirl through the ages, be glory for me. Can I please think that this morning you'll read the scriptures and see death in a different life, light? It is not doom and darkness. It is grace and glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we... <clears throat> come to the end of our time together, we truly give thanks. Great is the Lord and greatly to be feared in the congregation of his saints. You've come to lift up the name of a God almighty and to revel again in the blessings that have come to us, even through death and even the glory that waits us on the other side. Lord, these are blessed things. They lift us to another world. They give us a hope while we're living in this one. And we just pray that there might be comfort and strength and blessing. Come to all of us, your people, as we have been here today. 
and the word of God has come and the glory, a little of the glory has been revealed like the parting of the clouds and the sun shines through. As it were a crack in the doorway of heaven, Lord, let us behold that glory this morning and to see the land that is a very far off, we do pray. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our blessed portion until that day when we're called up hither. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.